You're listening to Fort Wayne Women of Faith. Um, so thanks everyone for being here today. We are doing this podcast with, there are five of us here, five clergy women, and International Women's Day is March 8th, Sunday. So we thought let's talk about what it's like to be a clergy woman, especially in Fort Wayne, since Fort Wayne likes to call itself the city of churches. Um, so I thought we'd start off today just by going around and introducing ourselves and talking about where you serve, maybe how long you've been there, how long you've been in the ministry, and we'll start with that. So we'll start with Kate. Hi, my name's Kate Howard. I'm pastor of North Christian Church. I've been there, I'm in my eighth year now. Um, I served a few churches before that, and I was the executive director of a nonprofit prior to that. Okay, so Kate, how long have you been in the ministry? Uh, since 2007. 2007. Yeah. Okay. 13 years. All right. I'll go next. I'm Annie Epling, and I'm the pastor, head of staff, um, interesting title, at First Presbyterian Church. I have been there since June of 2018, so um, not even two years yet. Prior to that, I was in St. Louis, Missouri, served a church as pastor for almost 18 years, the same church. Um, and I have I was ordained in 1996, and also did nonprofit work straight out of seminary. So, all right. Uh, my name is Marty Hampton. I'm the pastor at Faith Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne and St. James Lutheran Church in New Haven, Indiana. Um, and they are in a what we call a shared ministry. Um, sometimes they're called two points or yoked parishes. Um, I started at Faith uh, almost seven years ago and served there for five years. And then um, Faith joined with St. James two years ago. And so we've been in a shared call now for um, two years. Um, and they are my fourth and fifth call. I've served three churches before that. So I have been in uh, Warden Sacrament Ministry for 21 years, which is crazy to think it's been that long. Yeah, definitely. Kimberly. I'm Kimberly Kozan, and I have a private practice, Wisdom's Well, doing spiritual direction work um, with individuals, groups, and retreat leadership, and uh, have more recently added to that umbrella um, the social transformation work, advocacy, and justice work to that. I served in Fort Wayne. I served as interim at Lincolnshire Church of the Brethren in right after I moved here, so it was 2008 and 9, um, and I did seminary in two stages and also ministry in multiple stages, so I've only been ordained for uh, seven years, but uh, began filling positions that had been ordained positions uh, over 20 years ago. Wow. Wow. Okay. Christina. Hello, I'm Christina Ryan Perkins. I'm the pastor at Salem United Church of Christ and the chaplain at Crossroad Child and Family Services, both sharing the same block in Fort Wayne. I started ministry in October of 1999. Mm -hmm. It was my second semester of Divinity School, and our school pushed for us to join ministry quickly. But because the tradition I was in as a Baptist I was not ordained until 2011, and that was after three years of the church pushing to get everyone in the church and the association on board to ordain me. I was the second woman in the church to be ordained. 
So were you Southern Baptist or American Baptist? Well, there's actually another form of Baptist that are in between. It's the Cooperative mm-hmm. Baptist Fellowship. They came out of the Southern Baptist about 27 years ago now. Okay. And mostly because of the opportunities for women to be ordained and to mm-hmm. provide all the ministry opportunities they could have. I've served in Fort Wayne as an interim at two churches. I've served in Ohio and Tennessee as an interim, and I've served called positions in Tennessee and Baltimore as well as Fort Wayne. So we were talking a little bit before the podcast started, and and your comment about how long it took you to ordain, get ordained, made me kind of wonder, like, who who among us saw role models when we were Mm. in church or, you know, going through the ordination process that may have, did we see women in ministry or... I, we had a woman associate at the church where I grew up, and, and she, was, she was helpful. I remember talking to her when I was in college, I guess, and even high school, if you can believe it, about the ministry. But otherwise, I didn't really see any women in ministry. And because I saw her in an associate role, I automatically assumed that that, if I went into the ministry, that was the role that I would play. But once I got into seminary, I was like, ugh, I don't think that's for me. That's a great calling, but just not the one that I wanted to personally fulfill. So I'm wondering what else some of you saw. In the 70s, I didn't recall having any female mentors. Um, And I got to work at a camp, Geneva Center, a Presbyterian camp, actually, the camp that associates with this region. So um, I grew up in Mishawaka, Indiana. And there, we had so many volunteers come in and out, and that was a great introduction to fantastic women as models. Um, And I remember working for the first church I worked for, and, and, and it was a Methodist church, and them saying things like, oh, well, you should really consider seminary or doing some kind of degree program. Maybe you could be a deacon. And at that time, it was not the level of ordained um, position that it it is now in the Methodist Church, United Methodist Church. And and I remember a woman in her 70s saying, don't limit her. You you need to be ordained. You need to be an ordained elder. And so that was a pretty significant piece for me that Mm -hmm. someone would... Um, not diminish, you know, be a second mm-hmm. wrong kind of clergy person. But mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, how about the rest of you? Any female role models? I had a very similar associate pastor at the American Baptist Church that I grew up in, and uh, she was hired with the man who was hired as the associate, who was her husband. So they kind of had a co-associate role. Mm-hmm. Um, but she did not speak from the pulpit. She was seminary trained and ordained, and her voice was not welcome. Really? Uh, but her husband's But was, her husband's of was. Of course. Mm. Of course. Wow. Yeah. Mm. yeah. This is Christina, and I had a very eclectic background. When I was nine years old, I began attending a Catholic parochial school. And so, honestly, my first experiences of women in leadership roles were the nuns in my school because when we would have mass we would have a priest 
and then two nuns, and they would pre- they would present the sacrament. And I remember watching them and wanting to present the sacrament, and that was my first experience. Hmm. My parents wanted to nurture that desire, so we started going to an Episcopal church, and about 18 months after we began attending there, they called a husband and wife team who were co-priests or co-pastors. And so that was the first time I saw a woman preach from the pulpit. Mm-hmm. First time I saw a woman actually preside over the elements. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, this is Marty. Um, so this year is the 50th anniversary of the ordination of women in my denomination and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And um, it was really only in seminary and in the last several, probably the last 10 years that I realized how unique my situation was that as a child, the pastor of my congregation, we, we lived probably about 20 miles away from one of our seminaries. And so I saw women preach and preside from a very early age, mm. um, probably four or five, six years old. I watched women preach and preside because they were in the seminaries and growing up watched an assistant to the bishop who was a woman. And so I grew up with this model and it wasn't until college that someone said, well, you can't be a pastor, you're a woman. And I thought, well, that's just crazy. We have women astronauts. We had, at, by that point, Geraldine Ferraro had run for vice president. It was like, women can do anything. You know, that's what had been told us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's been really interesting in my years of serving is that every site where I've served, from internship through the congregations I've served, all five of my congregations, I have not been the first woman there. There's been another woman who's been there ahead of me, which is, which is interesting, very, very highly unusual. Um, and, um, and so I realized that, um, I have many, many sisters in the faith to thank for kind of walking through that door first. And, um, and there have been times that you, we get, this gets into some of the questions about microaggressions. Yes. When we hear people who say, oh, well, we had a woman pastor before. Um, or like when I was in a call process and a, someone says to me, well, I voted no for you because we had a woman before and I didn't like her and mm-hmm. I didn't want a woman pastor again. And I just go... But to just say that about the male pastors you've had, you know, you had a male pastor right. that you didn't like right. either, but you would never think of voting no for a male pastor, right. but you'll vote. Man. So it's it's interesting some of those kinds of things that I just think, okay. Right. And I, I think I don't want special treatment. I just want right. to be able to serve. Um, right. But that's been an interesting piece yeah. for me. Yeah. So. so how about some of those microaggressions that are – gender biases that I'm yeah. sure we have all faced. Who wants to go first? Well, this is Christina, and I actually was remembering what Marty said. I know that at least in two positions, when I took lead pastor roles, the first couple of meetings that I'd meet with people, the question was, when did you know you wanted to be a female pastor? Oh, wow. <laughs> And I would just look at them, and I'd start talking, and my husband was the one who kept catching it. And he said, I've never heard them ask that of a man. But so much of the time we go and say female pastor or male pastor instead of saying, when did you know you wanted to be a pastor? Mm 
Mm-hmm. And so it's one of the things that still catches me. And I, I just have to laugh about it once in a while. And I just go ahead and start talking about the nuns and go from there. Mm-hmm. But that's the one microaggression I've seen over and over is mm-hmm. it's an, it, people don't know they're doing it. Right, right. Mm. Clothing, anyone? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh my gosh. We could do a whole podcast on clothing. <laughs> I was like, oh, that could be a whole, like, you know, your jewelry is too big, it's too shiny, it's, you know, um, when do you wear a robe? How long is it? Um, are, you know, even what meetings, shoes do you have on? Um, yeah, you know, that what's sort of your stuff. neckline? Um, how much ma- you, you get criticized if you don't wear makeup, you get criticized if you do wear makeup. You know, yeah, hair. your hair distracting. Mm-hmm. Yes, all, all those pieces, and so it becomes our job to do everything possible so that other people aren't distracted by anything about right. us. Um, and at my height, which is quite short, um, that's that alone is <laughs> enough to be distracting. <laughs> to not be a literal tech talking head in the pulpit. Um, so yeah, I am very careful about what I wear on a Sunday, so yes. nobody comments about my clothing. And I wear like the same white shirt and dark skirt and earrings. I swear every week, <laughs> just so people don't say, oh, that's so cute. Or what does she have on? Or I can see her toes if I have sandals on or something mm-hmm. like that. And I don't know that they would, but I, I, I've, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they probably, yeah. You're right about that. Yes. Yeah. So, um, it's, you know, I asked the question about gender bias or microaggressions, and I don't know if anybody else has stories like this, but at my former church, I can remember a guy coming in. He was not a member of the church. I just want to make that very clear up front. He was not a member of the church. It was Christmas time. He was a neighbor, and I will never forget, he came in. He used to make this homemade peanut brittle and came in with a donation for the church and sat down. And when he got up to leave, he insisted that I give him a kiss in exchange for that peanut brittle. And I can remember saying to him, Nick, no, Nick, no. And he kept going on and on and on. And I finally was like, you need to get out of my office right now. That is just so completely wrong. Yeah, this guy just is like, dude, you and your peanut brittle need to move along. <laughs> wow. That's probably the worst thing that I've ever faced, I would say, as a woman in the ministry in terms of bias or harassment or whatever you want to call it. Sometimes, this is Kate, sometimes gender bias can be used to our advantage, though. Um, I have been in the hospital with someone who's dying, and we have a concern about a member of their family uh, needing spiritual care but not wanting it from any clergy. And so that person wanders into the room and assumes that I'm a neighbor or somebody from the other side of the family or something. And we will sit there and talk for hours and have spiritual conversation, have a conversation about what's coming in the future. And then they'll say, I'm sorry, are you a cousin on the other side? And I'll say, oh no, I'm their pastor. Or the family member will say, oh honey, that's my pastor. <laughs> and, and it's really neat because then they look at me and they say, 
I didn't know that women could be pastors. And a lot of the time they say, I've never met a pastor that I could talk to. Mm. Mm. That's powerful. So, yeah, it's not always, well, you can. It's not always bad. Yeah. Right. It can be used to our advantage. Yes. That's yeah, true. when you don't want to admit on the phone call that you can tell that it's a salesperson <laughs> the at the church in. and you answer and you just say, may I speak to the pastor? And you're like, I don't really want to talk to you, you know? Yeah. So I just say, I'm sorry, she's not available. <laughs> I just admitted I lied. <laughs> that was a Lutheran. Yeah, that was Marty. I lied. That's, That's that is it does work to our advantage. Sorry. The pastor is not available. No, I'm not yeah. available. Yeah, um, but I I agree. Yeah. The awkward things that happen sometimes in the hospitals when you walk in, and I have if I'm not wearing anything identifiable as the religious professional mm-hmm. to to say to the nurse who's about to lift the gown or do the exam or whatever, I'm not his daughter. I'm his pastor. Can I please pray and then step out before you <laughs> shave whatever you need to shave for the surgery? So because. Yeah. It's happened right. on more than yep, one occasion. Right. Yep. So, yes. But, yep. um, but yes, I agree. There's Awkward. times it does work for our advantage. Yeah. 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 I'm interested in knowing if any of you have ever felt like you've had your leadership or authority questioned because of your gender. Yeah. That would be my story about the gender bias that um, in one previous call. So in my first call, we did a huge uh, building campaign and added Mm -hmm. on, you know, at least 20,000 square feet onto the building, multi-million dollar building campaign. And I was, you know, the, the two pastors were integral in the building committee and all that. Lots of experience with that. Then in the next, in another call, we again we're doing a building renovation and one of the gentlemen on the council just said he he would not allow me to be a part of the say in anything and what he said to my husband was well has she ever laid pipe has she ever done this and my husband's like she's the pastor it doesn't matter whether she's actually laid a brick she knows what she's talking about and um and it was unfortunate that it had to be my husband who had to kind of come to my defense, but that's who was there to do that. Um, but it was just, well, because I'm a woman, what would I know about building? And mm-hmm. I actually knew a lot more than that guy gave me credit for. But <laughs> mm-hmm. it sure. was those things of, ugh, so. Right. Yeah. Mm. How about the rest of you? I came from a finance field before coming into ministry, and then I was the director of a nonprofit. Um, and the, the director of a nonprofit functions much like a CEO, where you know you look at the numbers, you understand what the numbers mean, and you suggest to the board a certain directive based on those numbers and what the goal is. And uh, I was told at one of my churches that I sounded too much like a CEO, and I shouldn't be so forward about knowing what the numbers mean. So, yes. <laughs> We're all giving her a funny look. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same church. Um, I was told that I should be nicer, not by everyone, but a person told me that I should be nicer to the bully because that's the Christian thing to do. And instead, I went all grizzly mama on the bully um, because the person was tearing the, the congregation apart. But mm-hmm. I was told that, you know, Christian women are nice. And I yeah. should be nice. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't find that in the Bible at all, mm-hmm. where it yeah. says Jesus said, "Be nice." <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got a I got a comment like that once at my former church, where the secretary was just 
she was on her way out and just being really nasty and 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 basically somebody said to me well I don't know why you can't just get along and I remember thinking I don't think you would say that to a man you know why can't you get along you would say well you're her boss you you know she needs to man up yeah, yeah, yeah. Lis- right listen to you but it was well if you could just get along and it was like what I'm I'm her I'm her boss and not to say that I don't want to get along but it was just one of those kind of same sort of things yeah this is Christina I had two situations in two different churches as the supervisor where it was time for evaluations and the form of evaluation for staff evaluations that I try to do is a conversational evaluation. Your strengths and your weaknesses, where things are going well, where you would like to have more resources. What would you like to drop off because you don't have those gifts and talents and we could find someone else who could. Mm-hmm. And so I sat down, two different individuals, one male, one female in two different churches and gave them the same information and both of them in their own way took the papers either file and filed them in that circular file didn't fill out any of the forms when I went back and I said okay it's been two weeks we're going to go ahead and talk well I didn't think you were serious mm-hmm. the pastors never evaluated me before I'm, I'm sorry, this is in my job description and is in your job description, and this is what the council has asked me to do. Well, seriously, the pastor's never evaluated me before. Mm-hmm. And one of them, after the second time of attempting to evaluate, actually stood up, yelled at someone on the council, and walked out and said, she's not even a pastor. <gasps> So, unfortunately, um, both of them chose on their own to leave the positions, but it was challenging. Both of them, I also faced this challenge of feeling like I needed to prove to them that I was the pastor. And then one day, I just had this realization, that's not my job. Mm -hmm. I am the pastor. The church has selected me. Mm -hmm. God has called me. Mm -hmm. I don't have to prove to anybody. Uh -uh. So you're talking a little bit about Fort Wayne, you know, as we started about Fort being a clergywoman in Fort Wayne, and I find that the challenge for doing community work is that across the board there are people that are concerned about um, justice and um, equality and diversity and um, human rights, access to healthcare and education, all these things. Mm-hmm. But when I have something to offer in certain circles, I'm not at all welcome to the club or the mm-hmm. circle. Mm-hmm. And so there are even other people doing great work in the community where I've they've said, well, have you talked to this particular group that's doing this initiative because you're already so far into the relationships and the work of that? And I've said, you know, like, take a look at the group that you're talking about. I'm a woman. They have no, right. I, and I said, I've offered. May I, I would like to come in and, and listen. May I come join your group? Um, or if I can be assistance. I, and then 
Um, there's never an invitation. There's never, even if I follow through and say, hey, I know that you're meeting about um, racial justice work in Fort Wayne. I would love mm-hmm. for us to to be more um, synergistic with other mm-hmm. groups that are doing, you know, there's no reason. How, how can we listen to a bigger picture with one another? And um, so there are certain circles where I'm ineffective because of being a woman. Um, particular, mm. and, and that's not just, um, that hasn't just been with older white male evangelical clergy. It's also been with young clergy persons, um, mm-hmm. male. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, right. But, but it is interesting that there are certain circles of common interest where there's just not space for being in leadership, even just in conversations among clergy. So this isn't speaking in front of their congregations, nothing else. It's just being at the table together, and there hasn't been room. Right. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I'm interested to know, like, you know, about we all have a different call process, but what your experience was like just as you were maybe looking for a job. We talked a little bit about that before the podcast started, and... You know, sometimes women stay at their churches a very short time because of what they face. But, you know, what sort of experience you found as you were maybe looking for a call or going through that, if you have stories to share or wisdom to share for others who are maybe coming up in the process, what that's like. This is Kate. Um my story is pretty unique because when I came to my congregation, it was imploding, and it was in active conflict. Um, there had been some things that were done uh, by people that were there before I got there that should not have been done, and it caused a divide in the congregation, and they continued fomenting that that chaos. and. When I came, uh, the conflict was very noticeable and palpable. And in our polity, we take a vote. And it is stupid to go to a church with less than a 90% vote. Um, We knew that this was going to happen, and we had had some conversations nationally about this particular congregation. Um, And a lot of people, especially women, um, leaders in our denomination came back and said, I went on a low call, and this is the good that came out of it. So I felt um, that I had wisdom behind me when I went into this. And um, I called my adjudicatory from a, from a room after the vote, and I said, it's really low. And I said, but they're tearing each other apart, and I feel like if I don't come into this now, there's not going to be a church for somebody to step into. And... I said, I might not only be here 18 months, so please don't hold it against my record if, you know, if it implodes in. And he said, I don't know about that. And here we are in our eighth year. (laughs) And we've had some chuckles about that since then. But the big thing um, that came out of that terrible chaos in the beginning was every time we had something happen, every time we had a dilemma, I said, I might as well do the right thing because I'm going to get fired anyway. So I might as well be able to sleep at night. And we managed to keep the church open. We would have closed. 
we sold our building. If we had not sold it, we would have closed. Mm -hmm. We went on a long journey. And if we had not stuck together through that journey with obstacles, we would have closed. And now we found ourselves in just the place that we feel God has called us and working in partnership with another congregation so that we can strengthen each other. And none of that would have happened if I had been afraid of what would happen to my job. So I find that that's a pretty, yeah. But it took me several years of chaos to figure out that actually that chaos was my friend. That's good. good. I remember when I was looking for, um, uh, before I moved to St. Louis for that call, actually right when I had accepted it. So in our system, we have presbyteries and our, you know, which are regional governing bodies. And my executive presbyter was a woman. And she was so helpful to me when I was negotiating salary for that first call. Because otherwise, I would I would have been at a total loss and not known even where to begin to negotiate, and probably would have gone for what they offered, which was incredibly low compared to what they had been paying their male interim mm-hmm. pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, but because she said to me, "Just remember how you negotiate this; it will set the stage for how you negotiate everything." I was somehow able to kind of say this is what you pay your interim this is what you're asking me to do and so this is what that's going to cost and so she was really helpful to Mm. me yeah in that regard but luckily I had a woman there so um we have five more minutes so I'm wondering how can we you know how can we build a more inclusive community, either here in Fort Wayne or amongst our churches or even in our denominations, if anybody has some thoughts about how we can make that happen? It's a big question, I know. (laughs) This is Marty. It's interesting as I go other places, when I step outside of the community where I serve um, or when I'm in other gatherings, I'm always looking at who isn't represented who isn't present. Mm-hmm. And so like right now I'm sitting around a table with all of you yes. and we're all white women. Yes. I think we're all married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Christian um, traditions. Christian traditions. Yeah. Um, I believe I, I'm not going to assume orientation, but I think there's that thing of, of, of wondering within our community, um, you know, who isn't present. And mm-hmm. so whose voices are we not bringing to the table? And, and I always think about, you know, as we talk about other women and we talk about other women who are serving in these capacities, um, what other voices do we need to be hearing from? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, I think that's a, that's a place I like to begin. Yeah. Um, and, and, but then also saying, wow, who do I not have a relationship with who's different from me? Mm-hmm. And what are ways that I need to open myself up to those differences mm-hmm. and so that I can be changed and so that I can learn more about those who are from a different background than I am. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point because we all around this table, yeah, look the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and do probably have similar backgrounds. Anyone else? I think I like what Marty said. It makes me think we, we need to understand what the image and likeness of God really 
is because it is far broader and far deeper than what we assume. And if we are all made in the image and likeness of God, then there is such diversity in who are called to be ministers. And if we look to the scripture, God has female aspects and God has male aspects. Mm -hmm. And those who are in ministry in the scriptures are a broad spectrum of people. It's mm. not just white men or whatever. Yeah. You know? right. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Well, and Kate, you as you bring your fullest self, and we each give ourselves permission to show up fully. We're also honoring that womanist or feminist or just feminine power to to emerge from all people, you know, right. our, our male congregants our, our female congregants and our, um, non-binary mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that, yeah. that, that we can let aspects of ourselves, um, be free for everybody. Uh, and, you know, we, you were talking about caregiving situations mm-hmm. in the hospital and, and I've also found that true that there's like this, um, relaxing into letting someone care uh, be cared for in a way that sometimes my male colleagues weren't allowed in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that allowed the person that I'm accompanying to to let their more female attributes be alive and, and honored as well. Mm-hmm. So I respect that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is Christina and Kimberly. That it, parts, it makes me think of a conversation I had with a new pastor about six years ago. And honestly, our table can have more leaves, it can have more chairs, and it can keep broadening. And this young pastor was sharing how he had never seen a female in the pulpit. And now he has experienced numerous women, numerous non-binary in the pulpit. And he said, I did not know that it was possible. Hmm. And now I do, and I've changed. And so when we broaden the table, add more chairs, and embrace who we are as children of a wonderful creator, we can recognize and hear our voices in whatever capacity God has designed us Mm -hmm. for. Well said. Yeah. I think that's a great. Yeah. (laughs) Any other closing thoughts? Mm. All right. I just want to thank all of you for being here and participating and sharing your story. We had no idea where this conversation would go. And yeah, thanks. Celebrate International Women's Day. It's Sunday. All right. Thank you. Thanks.